Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 530 with Michelle Cairo. I mean, we should have been operating from a mentality that we have to have a profit to survive and reverse engineer it so that we can make some money, like to make it sustainable. It wasn't sustainable. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their product and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. Wouldn't it be great if you could play music directly from your Spotify account in your own restaurant without worrying about being pinched by the music police? Well, guess what? With Soundtrack, your brand, you can. Unlike Spotify Premium, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack, your brand is licensed for business use. And with SoundtrackYourBrand.com, you can import your favorite music from Spotify and share them directly with your guests. This deal typically goes for $26.99, but if you act now, you can get this deal for $19.99 per month, per location, for life. Get on it. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Michelle Cairo. Michelle, are you feeling unstoppable today? Always feeling unstoppable. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's what we like to hear. After working a decade in corporate finance, business planning, accounting, and performance management, Michelle Cairo brings a wealth of knowledge surrounding business. Prior to leaving the corporate world, Cairo was CFO of Opus Solutions and Director of Finance for Pacific Power. In 2010, she was selected Portland's Best CFO for Medium-Sized Companies by the Portland Business Journal, and Michelle holds a BS in finance from the University of Utah and a master's of business administration from Utah State University. Today, alongside brother Elias Cairo, Michelle serves as CEO of Olympia Provision. So obviously we're just scraping the surface. I can't wait to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got? I think my favorite success quote is those who believe they can and can't are both right. And I just love it because I am, I have always felt like we can do anything. And like those people that say they can't do something, I'm just like, why would you think that? You're right. You probably can't <laughs> yeah. do it. We know. can do anything. It might have been your brother that said the same quote, or it could have been Tony down the street, but that oh, really? was recently dropped no on the show. Yeah, it's a good one, though. And it's so true. Um, you decide your fate. If you, whatever you make up in your mind, like that's your fate. Yeah. So if you decide you can, you will. You yeah. know, and, and if you if you hustle every day and you, you work towards those goals, it will happen. Uh, so awesome way to get this thing started. So your story is really cool and you're kind of um, not my normal interview. And I'm excited about that because you bring a whole new uh, just wealth of knowledge to the table that most people don't have because you have uh, the background in business and in, yeah. in uh, like a the corporate world. And uh, you are also I think it was. Um, the tech world, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a tech company. Yeah. I mean, that's not where your story starts, but we're going to get there. So why don't you bring it back to, uh, when did you fall in love with food and beverage? I mean, we're a great family. So (laughs) I think I was born in my blood. Um, my story is a little different than my brother's Eli's because he was so passionate about it as a little kid and wanted to work in it and all that stuff. I, on the other hand, just loved eating amazingly (laughs) good food. And I just, I loved that part of it. Like my family was had the restaurants and all that stuff. I, I didn't love it. Like Eli, you know, I was always like working girl. Do you remember the movie working girl? No, I don't. Oh my gosh. It's (laughs) like, 
it was like this girl that went up in corporate world and just like changed her life and all that stuff. And so that's what I was drawn to more. <laughs> yeah. And Elias was like, I just want to be cooking. And so I was like, I want to be in an office. Yeah. And, um, but that love of food and beverage, just like, it's it's more from eating family dinners. It's more from our garden mm. and eating like that. I just assumed everybody in the world ate like that mm -hmm. until I like went out to college. And then I was like, whoa, people don't like, you mean garden you, you and don't they don't kill their animals, and so I had I had taken it quite for you know granted, and so there was just that part of me that just I've always loved it. I've always loved hospitality. I've loved restaurants. I never thought I would work in them because I was just like, oh, I want I don't want to do this for a living. I want to be in that corporate world, and then I got to come into it and in like the way I really love to nice yeah so we talked a little uh when i was speaking with your brother we talked a little bit about your dad but i want to kind of go back to uh what you learned from yeah. the outside looking in and observing your dad as a businessman as a successful business person so was he a mentor to you in, in what mentor. way yeah so Dive he was like it. huge he was also like this math genius that i don't know if he like even knows that but he was just like explained yeah. theories of math to me he's very greek right and they love to learn the theory of stuff very proud but, oh, <laughs> very, like we invented math um and so you know he had these restaurants but one cool thing about my dad also is that he was a huge investor in penny the penny stock market okay and i loved that part of it and so he would like take me on his stock brokerage rounds to go visit all these and he would sit and talk about different companies with his friends how and old were you i mean i was probably like 10 or 12 oh i gosh. loved it i was like this is so great we're not in the restaurant and yeah. we're like drinking coffee talking about you know businesses and i was like that's what i want to do and so in my head i was like i want to be a stockbroker and that's really what I went to college for. I was like, I'm going to be a stockbroker. I want to. Uh, I want to do that. He was also an amazing inventor. Like he had patents. I have his patent on my desk for a thing called the Foot Buddy. You know, and it's just like he was just always creating. He was a natural entrepreneur, and I think that Eli and I definitely learned that from him. It was like if you don't, up oh, this is this doesn't exist. Let's create it. We don't need to buy it. Let's create it. And so I think I, I learned a lot from him. Yeah. One thing I want to pull from that story that you just share with us is the uh, power of just, you know, if you're a parent and I'm not trying to give like parenting or like coaching skills, but any young person, right. Bring them along. Uh, we, we just kind of let kids be kids sometimes, which is good, but also, you know, bring them along and let them experience things and give them those different perspectives. And I mean, it's so powerful. I mean, look at the impact it had on you to this day. Oh yeah. I totally agree. I, I know. And I've done that too. Like my niece works there, you know what I and so I have just been like, okay, come in when she was young. I was like, work a farmer's market. See if you like it. You don't like that? Well, what if you and the other niece worked here for a little while? And I was like, oh, you love design. Go and meet with people that are in the design world. Like, go and be around people and have them inspire yeah. you and stuff. But, yeah, my dad dragging us all over and, you know, that had huge implications So if you could boil it down, what was the biggest influence you think your dad had on you? It was just the entrepreneurial the entrepreneurial influence or the, the you can attitude or what is it? It's funny. This is kind of an odd one probably, but, um, you know, he, it was, I'm, a, we were so Greek and like in the Greek family, like the girls are like princesses and everything you're right. Like I'm always, he's like, you're always right. You can always figure out how to always be right. And so just like, figuring that out and knowing that like I actually just actually just took such extreme confidence from him that I can do anything I really feel like I can do anything and I know that is from both of my parents being like you can do anything you're the smartest prettiest yeah. girl we've ever known and it's just like if parents could raise their kids that way it's just like ah like you just start off so right yeah but it's so true though if you have that mentality there's really nothing stopping you and anything's possible if you start getting creative and you just show up every day and chip away yeah so i love it um so any other i mean take me on the journey through your life i mean anything else that's worth kind of hovering over for a little bit any other experiences i should know about any other huge mentors you had or transitional or pivotal points in your life yeah you know I think like it's funny like when I got out of college I was like that's it I'm gonna be a stockbroker and I got to my desk of my first job and they like handed me a phone book and they're like okay just start calling people 
like to get them to invest with you. What was your job exactly? Were you a stockbroker? I was training to be. I was still, I haven't, I hadn't taken the test and I was just like, wait, I'm 21 years old and I'm trying to convince people to give me their money. But the cool thing that they had, and this was probably a pivotal point for me, was they had an arm of their business that did small business consulting. And I got to sit into one of those businesses. Oh, that's cool. One of those meetings. And it was like a small business owner struggling for profitability and taxes and all sorts of stuff. And I was just like, this is so fascinating. Like, here you are, like, problem solving for this business. And honestly, right when you get out of school, everything is a textbook case for you. And so it's just like, wow, like I could apply, you know, my accounting principles for you and solve some problems. And, and so that to me was a thing. Cause right after that, I went into work to be a controller for a different firm out from meeting someone there. And so it was just, yeah, I mean, that was probably a pivotal point mentors i mean i read a lot i feel like all my books are mentors <laughs> right <laughs> like, we'll get into books that's a question in the oh, speed okay. round but real quick um i mean i think so out of college you were working at uh you were a controller right that's what you're talking yep. about right now mm-hmm. uh from 98 to 2001 and then you eventually go and you join pacific corp yeah what was that so i had it's you know, when I got to be controller for a company, I was so underqualified. I had like oversold myself so much. This is the part about being so confident that you can do anything. Like yeah, I oversold. You walk in, you're like, do you know who I am? Yeah, I kind of <laughs> I was like anything. that. I was like, dude, don't you know I've been a nanny for five years? Yeah. <laughs> My parents said. Yeah. And, um, and it was so fun. And it, like, I ended up like taking them through building like Olympic housings. Like I was dealing with the Olympic committee. They came back and haunted me later. But, um, And then um, I really wanted to leave Utah. And so Pacific Power was on our campus, you know. And so I just ended up going and interviewing there. And um, I actually took a demotion because I was like, I want – I want to move. I want to go somewhere new. And so then I ended up at Pacific Power. And um, it was cool. I mean, I thought I was smart before I got there. And then I was, there was so much to learn about power and and analyzing information and regulatory world, which really ended up helping me in my world now and learning all that stuff. Okay. And it was when you were with, uh, at the Pacific Corp that you went back to school to get your master's. Yeah. So what was going on in your life that made you want to go back to school for your master's? Were you trying to climb the ladder with Pacific Corp or what was going, where were you? What were you thinking? It's part of the reason I ended up taking that job. So I was going to leave the architectural industry and I was going to go and get my master's in Arizona state. And when I saw that job pop up at Pacific Power, I was like, ooh, Portland, that sounds so cool. And I was telling them that I wanted to go get my master's. And they're like, well, if you come and work for us, we'll pay for your master's degree. And so they actually like flew professors up every wow. Saturday for a year. And I ended up getting my MBA a year and a half. And was I it just up, you or there, there a bunch eight of, of us? Okay. <laughs> that's yeah. Pretty impressive. I was just like, this is so cool. And so that's how I ended up getting it. But yeah, it's great. That's incredible. So uh, you leave. And you go to uh, VP, or sorry, Opus Solutions, VP of Finance. Uh, how'd you get into finance with having a master's in business? I mean, I don't even My know. My undergraduate's like, in Okay, finance. that's right. That's, that's right. Um, you know, how I ended up leaving um, Opus, not Opus, leaving Pacific Corp to go to Opus because Warren Buffett had bought our company. Um, it's a good we, problem to have. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and um, it ended up just being, I ended up being part of the merger team and all that stuff. And I was watching like people get laid off that had been there for years and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, I think I need to go work for a smaller company. This, yeah. just a, this just doesn't sit right with me. So that's when I went to Opus. Okay, I got you. And so at that point, you know, I just, um, I thought it was a good move because it was such a smaller company and um opus was you know they do event technology and trade shows for fortune 100 technology companies and um it was really fun and it was back to like that small business stuff that i was doing before okay and during this time i had all i had also started like a little small business consulting company called in the black okay and it was for women how come that's not on your I know. linkedin profile isn't that funny <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh, I ended up like That's a cool name too in the and, black. I like it. Yeah. And it was just helping small retailers like figure out how to be profitable. And so it was just so fun. So I've really loved helping small business owners and it just, uh, 
that's always kind of been my passion. I know I'm one that I can help. I'm a little like, uh, I don't know what direction to go in right now, to be completely honest, okay. because I feel like you have so much, you bring so much to the table. Yeah. Uh, before we kind of just kind of free flow and really, yeah. uh, you just dump whatever knowledge you want to dump on us. Were there any mentors or any big lessons at these corporations or any real big like aha moments for you as to like how the world works or how you conduct yourself? Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, every single one of them has taught me something that I have brought to, to, to today, you know, like open Pacific power, like really taught me like, you know, well, one, I don't want to be a big company like that where you're laying off employees and all that, you know, well, I, you why? what was take, it about that? that didn't it was just right like you. watching these people that were so loyal to you and to loyal to this company, just be like a, per, they're not even a person. They're just yeah. like a number on a spreadsheet or a transaction. And I just like, I remember one time I said the word human capital to a friend and she's like, whoa, whoa human capital like are you kidding me and I was just like whoa I'm even getting a little weird in this and I just not you know you just it's hard to be loyal to a company when people are just numbers on a spreadsheet so yeah. that's, that's that really affected me I also loved the regulatory world there um, like actually accounting at a power company is probably the coolest accounting which is so geeky but <laughs> it's like the coolest thing but um, cause you have all these parameters you have to operate in and it's like a game and it's just that like, okay, cool. here's these parameters. You can maximize this, you can do this. And then you just are still operating yeah. and you can push the line. I loved that part of it. Also that regulatory stuff that I learned there, like the code of federal regulations. It's so funny when I left Pacific Corp, I was like, I'll never see these again. I'm so happy. <laughs> and then like the meeting that me and Eli had at our first USDA meeting, they're like, yeah, everything we have is in this book. And it was a code of federal regulations for the meat world. And I was like, what? I'm back <laughs> in this world. But I can tell you, I took all that knowledge and like being able to read that stuff and decipher it and like putting controls yes. in place, like, and brought that to us so that we could do our own HACCP plans and we could do all of our own work. And so it's just, I can't wait to dive into that part <sighs> of the story. Uh, but any, is there anything else you want to get up before we really start bringing it to where Eli is like, Hey, I'm coming back to the States. And you're like, you shouldn't do that quite yet. You should think about, you know, getting a job and like doing the research and scaling this thing. instead of just diving in. I mean, I think the things that I've just learned is that like every, but a lot of people are so scared of numbers and in every role I've worked with like operational people who have been afraid of numbers. And then if, if you can, as a, I think as a financial professional, your worth should be measured in how you can make them understand it and how they can use numbers to help them. Mm. And so it's just like, whether I was working with a utility guy or an event technology person, just being able to, to decipher their number down into numbers and help them figure out levers to pull, kind of operate in that game so that they knew like, okay, I understand my business. I'm not afraid of numbers. I actually need these numbers. Here's the key numbers I need to pay attention numbers to. Numbers don't lie. They, they don't. No. And I, that's what I love about numbers. Yeah. Like I'm a very <laughs> facts-based person. And so, and just, yeah, it's, Numbers are powerful. Very powerful. So, um, okay, let's bring it to uh, kind of where your stories, you, your story and Eli's story intercept again. I mean, your stories have been together as long as you've been brother and sister, but then he comes back to the States. Yeah. Uh, you convince him to uh, come to Oregon yep. because that's where you're living now. And uh, the, the the food world here is abundance. You, you, you convince him that this is where he wants to live. You're at the the farmer's market. This, this is like stuff that we went through the yeah. interview before. So I'm kind of just setting it up. Yeah. Um, what was going through, what, what's your perspective of that story? How did that go down? Yeah. I mean, it's, it was just so funny cause I had Eli there and I felt like I was still trying to convince him that this is where he wanted to be. So I was like, well, I'm going to go show him the bounty of Oregon. And so, and I knew he would be so impressed cause there's not even close to a farmer's market in Utah. I don't even know if we ever went to a farmer's market in Utah. Our backyard was the farmer's market. <laughs> um, and just show him that bounty. And then it was so funny because he instantly, you know, when he's like, I want some charcuterie, let's have this beautiful picnic. And I was just like, we don't have that. And um, just to like, uh, like th then we go and we pick out some from a specialty store and 
we're eating it and he's just like, this is crap. Like I can make this like, let's do this. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be pulled into the, the, the meat world. Like <laughs> get a job, please just get a job. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. so at this point, are you still at Opus? Um, let's see. I was probably still at Pacific power at this point. Okay. So, um, wait, wait, Opus. Yeah. So, I always get those confused, which order came first. So, Pacific uh, Power yeah, Office. right. So what was your advice to him at this point when he's going like, Hey, uh, like let's just start now. Like, what are you thinking? I'm like, I, you need to get a job and like, <laughs> and you, you don't know this market yet. Like, yeah. I don't know anything about this world for you and like get a job, build up a HACCP plan there. Like, you know, like, I didn't even build a network. I didn't even know how to plan at that point. So it's probably like figure out how to do this because, um, yeah, he didn't know anyone here. He only knew me here. And I was like, be part of this community and figure it out. And so that's when he ended up going. Why is that so important to, to be part of the community? I just think there's so much learning that can be done from each other. And Portland is like such a supportive place that Mm. way, especially even more so in the food world than anything. I mean, it's incredible. It's, it's crazy. I've only been here for a week and it's amazing how supportive people are. I'm the new guy in town and everyone's just like, I got you. Like, who do you want to talk to? I'll make it happen. Go talk to this person. Go talk to that. People are holding doors for each other. I feel like I'm back in New Hampshire in a small like town where like everybody knows everybody and it's just warm. I love it. It's It's a great city. So warm. And that's just it. It's like, you can do so much learning, you know, from books and all that stuff, but it's like listening to how, what other people are going through, what their taste are, what they're excited about. And, he needed to do that and um i also was like we'll see how serious you are like i needed to like is this just like a one-off dream it's your first day back in portland and you're super excited and he was definitely persistent so uh he takes off he's doing that uh you're doing your thing when do you guys kind of like clash again and start like really considering this so he came back to clash in a good way yeah clash in a good way (laughs) to two and a half to three years Later, he came back and I mean, this whole time he'd been like talking about it. Like I'm developing, I developed the salami at Castagna or like, making the charcuterie board. And I was like, that's so cool. And it was fun to just like see him grow his career there too. And see how serious he had become. Because when he left to, when he had left Utah, he was just like. Snowboarder. Snowboarder. That <laughs> yeah. kid, right? Yeah. Like I was like, I don't even know your work ethic right now. I know you had fun in Switzerland and you studied a lot, but and so, um, I can't remember where, where was I at? Sorry. Uh, when he clashed back in. Oh, when he clashed back in. Yeah. So yeah. So he was like, we, he finally came to me and he's like, we have to do this. Someone else is going to do this if we don't do this. So this Char- is after like three or four years yeah, of, uh, of him, him doing, going, climbing the, the ladder. The ladder at, at yeah, Castagna. Gotcha. And, um, he's like, just loan me some money and I'm going to, I just want to get started. And I was like, okay, I'll loan you some money. And he's like, the only reason you're loaning me money, Michelle, is because you don't believe in me. If you really believed in me, you'd be my business partner. And that Greek guilt, oh, it works so good. And I was just (laughs) like, I believe in you. Of course I'll be your business partner. That's a good move. Yeah. And I was like, I'll I'll never quit my day job. I said, I love what I'm doing and I... I'm never going to quit it. So like, I'll totally help you like do these farmers markets and figure this out and I'll help you with the business side and this will be fun. I'll have this little hobby restaurant and this is fun. And so, yeah, that's when I decided to so you loan him, him. The, the money. What yep. a great sister you are. Yeah. Uh, and was were, at that point, were you like, were you a partner? Yeah, I was a partner. Okay, cool. So because remember, I if yeah. I if I didn't, then I didn't believe in him. So you, and, yeah. <laughs> and I believe in him. <laughs> so what was your role? Uh, how did what did your what were you doing? How were you helping out? Like what lane were you in? So I was helping with the business plan. So I did all the business plan, um, and then financing. His story says that you told him to do the business plan, and mm. then he brought it back to you. Mm. <laughs> I mean, yes, he did have to give me all a lot of inputs okay. for it because I he I hope had, I'm causing any trouble. No, <laughs> it's okay. His version and my version sometimes have different, yeah. di- totally different perspectives. Because yeah. yeah, I mean, I did have him go research. I'm like, how much, how much meat does Castagna buy? How much, you know, how long does this take you? So in his world, that's probably him doing the business plan. So then I pulled it all together, <laughs> and um, you know, I had to raise money. 
because we were we still need, and we had met Nate at this point, and so we knew we needed to raise about seventy five thousand dollars. Are you the older sister or the younger? I'm sister? I'm the older. I should have asked you to guess. It's my favorite game. You guys so. are looking like right around the same age. You must we're be only pretty two close. Years apart, yeah. So okay. pretty much the same. Got gotcha. you. But yeah, and so looking he had up for met, your little brother. I know. I love it. He's adorable. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I had to raise the money for it, and then once we started, my role was like getting. You know, I had got. I had set up the accounting system. I wasn't doing the daily counting. Um, we had someone doing that. And then I was just like analyzing the numbers and my, I, I was so hands off. I probably shouldn't have been that first year or two. Cause we did lose some money. And I, I probably, I was just like, they know what they're doing. Nate's a restaurant professional. Eli's a professional. I'm just going to let them do it. And then all of a sudden I was like, I think I need to get involved. So looking at the early days, Mm -hmm. uh, reflecting back, uh, the consultant kind of person you are, what, what advice would you have given them doing? Like, what what were they doing? What what advice would you have given them to kind of, to tighten it up? I mean, we should have been operating from like, we have to, a, a mentality that we have to have a profit to survive and like figure and reverse engineer it so that we can make some money mm. like to, to make it sustainable. It wasn't sustainable. What does that look like? So we need some profit to, to survive. So when you say reverse engineer thinking like, yeah. what does that look like? Start with the end in mind and then work backwards. Yeah. To- so it's like when I, you know, it's funny. I, I just did this for a new restaurant. We just opened cause I had just read this book and I was like, Oh, I wish I would have done this at all my restaurants. What book was it? It was called profit first. Ooh, that's is, a good one. We'll dive into the, the details uh, of that book later. But yeah. That, but. So to reverse engineer it. So it's like, you know, that like a healthy company, you need to have 10% profit to cover your debt, pay your taxes, do all that stuff. And so then you're like, okay, how much do I need to generate to cover, you know, my, labor costs, my cost tax, all that stuff. And you're like, okay, this is how much revenue I need to bring in. And then it's kind of like, okay, if I can't, what am I going to do? And, and we just kept operating Yeah, and we losing money. It's and the, losing yeah. Money. It's like the whole mentality of, uh, you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody yeah. else. Uh, so you got to make sure that you're covering your own expenses, your own, you know, profit first, take care of yourself. And then once you start getting excess, you figure out what that number is. And then that excess, you start prioritizing, like what's the next most important exactly. thing. Exactly. Uh, and it's so powerful. You probably could explain it in much more For sure. uh, detail <laughs> and with uh, more accurate terms. Terms, but that's kind of how I understood the book. Yeah. Uh, so you, so you recognize you that. It. What's that? I'm so glad you read that book. Oh, it's great. Who's it? Mike? Because his last name's like Michael. Kuh, Kuh, I don't know. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a Polish name, I yeah. want to say. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah. So reflecting back at that time, you would have focused on the profit first. You would have, you guys were losing money. Um, that's not what happened, but eventually you came back. Eventually you started getting profitable. So when did that profitability start to happen or you know, am I skipping funny. anything? The meat, the meat world was like, of course, while we were the first six months, it wasn't profitable because we're building inventory and doing all that stuff. The meat department after that was always profitable. The Southeast restaurant, um, was just losing a lot of money and probably lost money up till three years. Wow. And it was, thank God I had a job because <laughs> I was literally like cash my paycheck and then go make everybody else's paycheck. And, um, but I didn't want to let it fail. I knew I was too emotionally involved with it because I wouldn't let it fail. Cause I was just like, I can't let this fail. It just, it's not the time for it to fail. Mm-hmm. And if I, if the finance person in me, would have been like, you need to close that down right now. Like it's not working. You're it's sucking cash focus there, but I'm so glad we didn't now. It's just, yeah. So the, for the first couple of years and just to kind of paint the picture, uh, Eli had at this point had less left. Um, I'm always afraid to say the name of the restaurant. He started working at Castagna. Castagna. Thank you. It's kind of a weird spell yeah. word. Castagna. And he opened Olympic provisions with, Sorry, Olympia provisions. Uh-huh. Oh, at that time, it was Olympic it provisions. It was Olympic. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, with Nate, and they're working on the business. Uh, he, at this time, uh, Eli is the like the only person in meat production, yeah, right? That's all he's doing. Yeah, that was all he was doing. And then Nate was the front of, or the. Well, we had some other partners then too. So we had at the, at the beginning we had eight of us. So eight partners. I know. Wow. We were all friends. Um, and yeah, slowly we're down to four now, but, um, but the other, uh, one of the couples was running the restaurant and okay. so we'd meet once a week, go over numbers. So one of the 
the two of the eight partners were running the restaurant. Okay. Nate was doing the meat production. You were the finance. Uh, what? Not Nate. Sorry. Eli. Uh, Eli was, yeah. And Nate, what was Nate doing during the time? I mean, he was building stuff and like, I mean, everyone was involved in the restaurant because it just like sucked up resources. Yeah. Like, honestly, at the beginning, we needed eight people. Yeah. <laughs> like, and Nate is going to be the next interview. Oh, so if you guys are listening to this, Nate's going to be uh, hopping on the mic right after Michelle leaves and uh, we'll be diving into that. So it's kind of really cool to get all the perspectives to see oh, yeah. if they align. And... I bet they don't. <laughs> I know they don't. <laughs> but I love it. I love getting all this information yeah. and the, the story from different perspectives. So, what did you start to do after the three years after you're like, I can't let this go. I can't let this go down. So, like, how did you get in there and how did things start to turn around? It was, it was literally, it's kind of funny. Some of it is that no one could find us, which is really weird. I remember Kathy Wims who owns Nostrana. She said that no one will know your, no, know your restaurant. It takes three years for someone to find you. And I was like, Oh my gosh, three years. We'll be out of business by then. Um, so we really started managing labor, really started managing food costs then. And also everyone knew where we were all of a sudden. It was funny that first year we had so much press. Everyone thought we were like the busiest. We must've been the busiest restaurant. We were like Bon Appetit, Sevier, all these things. And we were, it was like crickets. So what happened? Uh, what changed where all of a sudden after three years you start getting press? We got that press in the first year. Oh, okay. Okay. I got you. We always said if we could, if we could just sell press, we would have been millionaires. <laughs> but um, it's because of what you're doing. It was very. It was a it was good story. New, you know, you've story. got this USDA meat plant attached. It's really sexy, and that yeah. sounds in the restaurant world. Not so sexy down in like a really industrial area yeah. and yeah. that stuff. You know, and at this point, like you know, the meat world was taking off, so that helped fund some of the restaurant losses. And so after three years, or. Uh, no, after two years, okay. you know, so we ended up, I mean, we were still losing money and ended up opening the Northwest location. And that's when I was like, I think I actually just need to quit my job and focus on making sure that this business is a viable business. But your and job so, was what was keeping this thing afloat. I know. I was really scared to do it. And I, uh, m- my now husband, I was just like, I'm going to take a pay cut and it's going to be like, over six figure pay cut. And, um, and I also have to save my savings because if this goes South, I'm going to have to actually fund it, but I don't feel like we're going to get where we need to get if I don't quit because that's such a, I'm doing such a disservice for as a CFO and as this business, that's my family. Mm. And so I'm just like, I have to quit. And, um, I did it. Were you happy when I quit? Were you happy at the the job that you were working? I was happy. Um, but it was also the struggle of just like, I can't, I need, like Eli's calling me, being like, Dean and DeLuca's calling, needs a wholesale app. And I'm like, okay, but I'm going into a meeting for the, you I know. I can't even imagine. And so I was just like, this is so wrong. And so I was just like, I can quit. I can always go back to the corporate world if this doesn't work, but I really yeah. need to just focus. And at this time, you have a pretty good reputation for yourself. You're doing well. You're, yeah. you're a successful businesswoman. People you know, you're a valuable person, so you can get a job. Uh, yeah. So you quit your job. Uh, and how did you start tackling this project? What was the first thing you focused on? Um, I was, I really just focused on boiling it down to numbers because we were just opening the new plant. And I was like, hey, we just have to figure out every single thing that's costing us. How much is everything costing us? I mean, it, it was, it's so basic that it's kind of funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just well, like that's going the, back to the basics. That's the good news though, that really it sometimes it, it, it just takes tip stepping back yeah. and looking at everything. Like what is every expense? Where's yeah. the money going? How can we start sewing things up? How can we start yeah. closing the gaps? Is that what you were doing? That's exactly. And there's just like no one paying attention. Everyone was buying stuff. No one was paying attention. And it just was like, okay, like, no, we're going to stop all that right now. I'll buy everything. Let's just like slowly figure out how to turn this around. I'll meet with every chef weekly. I'll meet with everybody so that we're just consistently looking at it and tweaking as we go because, you know, it's, it's my, it's another mantra that I have, like plan, execute, measure, correct, plan, execute, measure, correct. And if we just keep doing that every single week, even if we don't hit the numbers, these amount of corrections that we're doing to get us back on path are going to get us there. And so, and budgets and that kind of stuff. All right. We're going deeper sister plan, execute, measure, correct, dive into this process, what that looks like. So, you know, 
Elias would say everybody that has a plan, everyone has a plan till they get punched in the face or so would Mike Tyson. But, (laughs) uh, but that's it. You know, it's like we spend a lot of time planning and it's, um, you know, creating a budget, even to the basic level, like let's create a budget. Um, and then let's see how we do against that budget. What was our expectation? What was our labor budget? What, what percent food costs were we hoping to get? What percent food costs did we get? So the planning is like, here's this. I want my food cost to be 35%. I want my labor to be 40%. Um, and then the next week we come back and we're like, okay. So that's the execute, the execute, go out there, do it. They, then they go and execute against it. And then we sit down, we've measured it like, okay, you came in at 38% food cost. Okay. You didn't hit the budget. Now we need to figure out what we need to to correct it and plan again. So then you guys go out there, we plan it, they execute it again, and we keep coming back and you keep coming back. And it's a circle. It never ends. And the minute, anytime I've ever taken my eye off of that is when like our numbers go wild and we'll lose money. So So when you're, you're, okay, so plan, execute, measure, correct. Uh, are you creating systems and processes along the way to when you when you yep. hit your mark? You're like, all right, let's hone this in. Let's make this like rigid so we we continue to hit it. And what does that look like if that's what you did? Yeah, so it's like with labor, right? So we will create these labor spreadsheets and be like, okay, this is this is a template for the chefs to plan labor or the front of house manager to plan labor. Go out you know, fill out your thing, see how close you got to it. And okay, look, that worked for you. So this is your staffing level that works for you. Well, the best, the best and worst thing about restaurants, probably the worst thing is that they're so cyclical. So you're constantly tweaking that. All right. I'm not that smart. What's cyclical mean? Just like, yeah, (laughs) uh, they're so like summer, you're, you know, summer, the patio's full. It's busy. Come September, every buddy's back in school. No one goes out to to eat the first week of September because mm-hmm. all the families are no, no, no. which is like my time to hit the road interviewing like a, a crazy man yeah exactly so <laughs> it's just your out. work is cyclical yeah. also yes <laughs> yeah so it's just the ups and downs got you okay so um you realize that the industry is so cyclical uh and that was your train of thought keep going yeah and so basically you're con- you have to constantly be doing that because it's like you have to be projecting out your revenues because you know your revenues are going to go up and down weekly but you know after a while you do kind of get a pattern to yeah that. you so see you, the trends so you can use something that's like okay we know that come september our our revenue target's going to be about 20% less. So let's plan for labor for 20% less. What does that look like? Now let's go fill out these sheets and make sure like, okay, this is what we look like on staffing. Come back next week. Let's make sure that we're actually hitting it and that kind so of stuff. So when you left after you left your job after three years of the, the business being open, right? You, and now you're yeah. doing this full time. Uh-huh. Are oh, you said two years? It's like two and a half, three years. Two and a half years. Okay. So how long did it take you to get out of the red? After leaving, after going full time, how long of, of this uh, plan, measure, correct? Oh, sorry, like plan, measure, ex- plan, sorry, plan, plan execute, execute, measure, correct. correct. Uh, how long of that did it take for you guys to start, you know, getting above that line? I mean, not long, probably six months. Okay. Yeah. That's, impre- six that's months. awesome. And then, I mean, it's not to say that we don't have times where we lose money and then yeah. it's just because well, that's every of business. not plan, you know, it's well, not, not every planning business, a down turn or food costs you get a different chef in there the mm-hmm. whole thing goes it just is this constant thing but as long as we're measuring we can correct it and get back on path okay um was this when you had so you had the the meat plant in the restaurant were there any other restaurants at this point you opened a second restaurant in northwest mm-hmm. so that's when i that's when that's I, when you came on that's when i came on okay so l- let's talk about scaling because now you guys have mm-hmm. uh, a total of six Six restaurants. Yeah, six restaurants. And this Um, giant meat plant. (laughs) So take us through that process of of scaling um, from a a CEO and a CFO, essentially. Mm -hmm. I think you kind of wear both those hats, do do you not? Yeah. Yeah. So from your perspective, what does that scaling look like? How do you make it happen? Um, How to make it happen. So it was interesting. Like I knew when we moved into the Northwest plant, I actually thought we would be there for a while. So I had done like some projections on how much we could sell out of that space. And I was like, okay, we could probably be here for about five years, you know? So we signed a five-year lease. And then um, my 
estimates were wrong and we grew way faster and so we were re- we were ready to move out of that by year two what made you grow space. faster what what thing happened you know i think a lot of it has to do with just the recognition so you know we had won a bunch of good food awards all of a sudden everyone in the nation thinks we're this giant meat house and we're just like we're so scrappy yeah. and like just little did i you were doing meal ordering at one. yeah so, so that also so that second year we won the Good Food Awards, I had told Eli, I was like, you know what would be really awesome is if we, like, that all that publicity and then someone could go buy it. And so we talked to our designers and they built, like, this funny, janky website. And um, it got picked up on everything. Like, all of a sudden it was like, good morning, America. And I think we were mentioned in Oprah and all sorts of stuff. And I was just like, in our website that holiday, it was like mayhem and what happened did you guys sell out did you, oh, were you, could you meet demand we could meet demand thank goodness um but it was literally all partners in the office i had rented across the street because my office ended up turning into a prep space um and um just like floor to ceiling boxes a stuffing boxes and then <laughs> like three postal service trucks showing up us running down there filling them and getting them out the door so it just was like that was just nuts but yeah so that also took off and so all these things started just having us bust out the seams so then I was like I really think I need to find a place where we can stay for a little while and so I started looking for a new location and um tap the brakes real quick what what, what, what did yeah. it feel like uh busting at the seams yeah uh, how did you manage I mean it's a good problem to have but <laughs> How did you, but you, you got to, was it again, still that just that, that, uh, plan, execute, measure, correct. And just having new problems where you're using the same method to like figure out all these new issues that you're having. Yeah. It's separate. It became really apparent. We were out of space cause we would rotate like our finished goods inventory, like three times in a day. So there's like wrapping to order. Like we don't have stuff to cool it. We're renting refrigerated trucks oh, to be on the street. Just like you're, I'm just like we're literally out of our seat. Oh my god! How much did that cost to rent a truck to be a refrigerator? The gas uh, that you we have had to, to run. do that all. Luckily, we got it plugged in a plug okay. in outside that building. But yeah, so it's like all December we had to have this truck out there, and I'm just like we can't keep doing this. Like, could you just out. put it outside? <laughs> <laughs> and the USDA really hated that our finished inventory is out on the street in a refrigerated truck, Whoa. but they were fine. And so I was just like we've got to do something and you know it's like how sustainable is it to like pack Christmas out of our offices. I was like, next year we can't do that. And so that's when I went and started looking for spaces. And I just, it was funny because I, for a while there, I was just like, let's buy a huge warehouse. And I was like, but we don't know where our production's going to grow to. And so I was just like, I feel like we should rent this next time again and just like find a space that fits us. Mm -hmm. So we looked at like 50,000 square foot places. We looked at 25,000 square foot spaces. And then I also was doing like, okay, how much can I afford? You know? And I was just like, let's say that I, um, wanted to just use all my profits on the space and um so you know i had this like chunk of money that i knew i could use and i was like okay i can afford to get into this space and that was the space here that we're at and it's i think it's 34 or 37,000 square feet i can afford for my business to be completely flat i won't have any profits that year but i won't go out of business and so that's how i kind of looked at this space to be okay. like okay it wouldn't ruin it i have the amount of business to support it now and then um, I then I just had to find the hugest SBA loan in the entire in my world in the entire world. <laughs> okay, but. so you were ready to take a year with like just flat, like with no profit, to move into the new space. Uh, how did that work out? Did it take a year to to get in the black again, or how how yeah. fast did it take you to recover from that? Uh, no, we had a profit. We had a really profitable year that year. Nice. Uh, I mean, I knew we would grow, but I was like, what if something happens? Like, how'd you know you would grow? We just always had, like, we had never had anything lower than, like, a 25 or 30% growth rate. So I was like, okay, even if I just grow 5%, you know, and I think that year we probably grew 30%. And I'm, and I'm happy you're, this is what you're saying. Again, it's back to the numbers. If you're tracking the numbers and you're seeing the projections, you, if you're, if you have, like, six years or five years of continuous steady growth and you know exactly what those numbers are, you can roll the dice. You know yeah. that you, you don't know exactly what your growth is going to be, but you can say this is all I need it to be in order to survive this move, right? Yep, and that's really all I wanted to. I just wanted I needed to know that I could cover the rent payment 
and cover the SBA loan. Okay. There's one other thing I want to dive into that has me really interested because I kind of have this theory, the way the industry is going because of everybody, we're kind of going back to being small again. Everybody wants the story. Everybody wants the impact. Everybody wants the real relationship with the person behind the business. And it's getting harder and harder to find good people to work for you. Uh, So I really do believe the future of the food and beverage uh, is going to be a series of a bunch of small partnerships where everybody has equity in the business. And I feel like looking at Olympia provisions, you guys kind of march to that beat where you share equity and you share, you bring in partners. What are, what are the benefits of that? And what are the challenges of that? And you said you've lost four partners. You started with eight. Now you have four. So is there without exposing anybody too much or we're an open book, (laughs) Uh, you know, the benefits of it. I have a lot of friends that are solo entrepreneurs and I'm always so grateful that I'm not because I think that when one of us gets tired, someone is ready to pick up the reins. And Eli and I do this all the time for each you're other. Preaching to the choir. Right? <laughs> just like, you know, you're just like, I can't do another day of this. Like, I can't live like this anymore. Cause it does, you know, like as an entrepreneur, it, you have days where it's just like, this is so hard. And yeah. It's sometimes still not worth it. And then Eli will come in and be like, oh my gosh, I just created an amazing ham. Taste it. And then you're like, oh, okay, this is kind of why I do it's this. It's peaks and valleys. It's, it's so it's emotional. It, it's a roller coaster ride mm-hmm. of like, this is the best ever. I'm so lucky. Then other days you're just like, what am I thinking? Yep. It's that. <laughs> and having those partners and just like when someone's a partner, you also know that like, they have to get up at 3 a.m. to go see why the alarm went off at the meat plant. Like, it's like, hey, hey, guys, I need help here. So it's like extra hands that do stuff for free. Mm. You know, <laughs> that ends up what it be. <laughs> right. What it uh, but it's also that camaraderie, like you're saying, like that support group. Of, oh, yeah. You're not alone. The power of multiple brains working on a, a, a problem. And uh, it, it's, I don't know. You know, yeah. it's it, that's the way it should be. It should be a tribe. It should be tight knit. Yeah. And it's fun. You'll see it like with Nate and me and Eli, like the conversations we have and the brainstorming and the creativity that comes out of them. I'm just like, Oh yes, yes, yes. And like, we just start like thinking of ways to implement and new businesses. And we're very entrepreneurial. Like we love shiny new pennies. And it's nice to always have, like, they would say I'm the dream crusher because I'll be like, Nope, that won't work. Like, look at the numbers on this. The realistic one. But (laughs) I'm also, but that again, uh, that's the other variable today. Today's marketplace is getting so, so competitive into competitive with these big brands you really need to be good at so many things and most people aren't good at everything yep. so if you have partners that specialize and have lanes you cl- you have a clear lane cfo oh, yeah. ceo uh essentially and then you have eli with his just passion for yeah. the meat and the passion for the, the product he's the technician he's the, the person that gets in there and does it oh, yeah. right and then you have nate who has he builds everything <laughs> yeah and just like the, in the restaurant world i think too. that's the other thing too and i think his his role his lane is the, the like you said the restaurant world world building teams yeah. and having that reputation for being the guy that's the great employer in knowing what lane to put other people in yeah. and all these things are things that you need and when you when you partner and you come together who the fourth partner was um marty marty what's his lane what's he do um you know marty will do anything <laughs> marty <laughs> utility is, role he has a utility role and it's like at first he was he had he came to the table with money you know and so um, which is definitely necessary in this business. Yeah. And um, also with a mentality that he'll literally do. I mean, I think Marty did our cash and carry runs for the first two years we were in business. And so it's just, that's the type of partners I think people need to look for. It's like, look, yeah, I may be CEO or CFO, but um, yes, I will scrub the floors and I will go work a farmer's market this weekend. And yeah, it doesn't matter. Like it's, you got to get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I can't believe we're almost at 50 minutes of recording time. It goes by so fast and um, we've covered a lot, but is there anything that is near and dear to your heart? Anything that you want to get out there, uh, dive into any specialized knowledge that you have? I think for me, like part of the reason of our success um, is this balance between the maker and the business. And I think uh, I see a lot of businesses that you get this really passionate maker and, um, 
and it's a hobby for them and it doesn't succeed because they don't have this business stuff or you see someone go into it for the other reason the business side of it they're like i'm gonna make a ton of money at this yeah i'm gonna do this and it fails because the the quality of the product isn't there and me and eli have just always had this balance and mm. i think trying to find that balance in your business whether it's like you find a consultant or a partner or someone that just has such complementary skills is so important because I mean I always think about this time when um, Eli and I it's like we have this mantra that will never compromise quality for profit or ease and it we probably have that debate once a month mm -hmm. you know on where and, and like the the biggest one I can always think of is you know we used to pay someone to like um, microplane um, uh, nutmeg for hours. Like this guy's job was to sit there with a microplane and do nutmeg for hours <laughs> in the production world. And I was like, Eli, this is crazy. As we scale, I'm going to end up having to have like eight guys <laughs> microplane. Like there has to be a better way. And so, and he's like, well, we have to have it fresh. We can never compromise quality for profit or reason. And what you're talking about, Michelle's. And I was like, well, okay, let's just see, you know, and like maybe I can have organ spice grind it the night before, bring it out, taste it. And, and, and so we did do that test and Elias blind tasted it. And so did two other guys, which was crazy. But anyway, but still, I mean, that's, uh, but, but, but to have those values for yeah. a reason, there's a reason why we have these values. And it's so when you are doing something, you, you can check yourself yep. and say, okay, well, this is a value. Like we got to do whatever it takes to make sure we're not breaking this core value. Yeah. And those are the things that keep great companies great. Yeah. And it's just as that balance too, you know, like there are things that I would have, you know, like done, you know, probably to increase profits where Elias was like, the quality will be compromised. And so for this balance that we have of like quality with profit, quality with pro it just like literally are these constant evolving, um, like debates and, but it has made us like refine, like, yeah, Eli figured out a different way to do nutmeg the same day, you know, and doesn't, we don't have someone microplaning it right now, but he has a different way of crushing yeah. it. Yeah. It's faster. Yeah. And so it's just like this constant, diligent mastery of all of this, where we're just trying to like, make sure that we're doing it the best way possible. I love it. And, um, what about failures? failures let's see so there you know i think the one that comes to mind probably is in those first couple years and we had lost so much money and i felt like i was like this is supposed to be like these guys know what they're doing this is what's supposed to happen like every business is it's 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 okay to lose money and it's like it's not actually welcome to the restaurant it's industry. not yeah. <laughs> like figure a different way out. And, and for us, it was like looking at different streams of revenue, being really creative. Like there was this point even in the meat world where we were like, we were like out of money in, um, in the first, I think it was like the first year and a half and we needed to expand. And it was just like, we had to be so creative to think of ways. Like I, it's funny. It's it, what came of it was like our salami of the month club. I was like, Oh my gosh, we don't have any money. What, how, how can we get people to prepay for salami? And then it was cash like, flow. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I need cash and cash is like King. Like mm -hmm. who cares about revenue? Like cash is King. Yeah. Uh, with cash, you get assets with assets, you get revenue. Yeah. So. And so, you know, I was just like brain, we were brainstorming and we came up with the salami of the month club and it like, I say it saved our bacon literally because it saved our bacon. But um, <laughs> yeah, and it was just like being creative. Like I think like sometimes we get in our heads and we're like, and I'm, you know, you're, you're stuck in your head. I'm losing money. This is happening. And all you see is the problem. And it's like, if you could just stop for a second and like, see like what opportunity does this present me with to get out of this? And that's where I think, it's just you get the creativity going and you're not just stuck in this problem. Yeah. And I think, again, that's the power of partnerships because you're forced to talk. Yep. You're forced to communicate. And when you get these thoughts out loud and you're sharing your thoughts, you're brainstorming, you're bouncing ideas off of each other, like creativity just happens. You can have your thoughts in your head, but are you more likely to act on them if you get them out? And you make oh, them more sure. concrete and you put them into the universe, right? Yep, exactly. Um, plus the, the multiple channels of revenue is, I think, the other great thing to pull out of that. Like, why just be 
you know, a retail operation yeah. when you can get the mail ordering, where you can do these clubs and you can get the, like multiple channels of revenue. Um, awesome stuff. Yeah. Uh, one last question. We'll go to the speed round. Who is Michelle Cairo today? How have you transformed? This, this podcast is all about transforming people, but I'm curious, like, who are you today and who were you when you were getting started? Well, that's so hard. Uh, <laughs> I think when I started, I, it's funny, I think I felt like I knew everything. And as I've grown, I feel like I have so much more to learn and yeah. I'm so much more excited to learn about it. Like, I don't, I just was like, it has to be done this way. This is how we measure. This is how we do it. And then over the years, I've just been able to like a little bit step back and just watch stuff evolve and yeah. of force and, and just learning. Like, I can't even tell you over the last year and a half, I feel like I've learned so much just because I'm open to it and mm. I'm just open to learning. Um, I'm, I love growing this business. It's so, I, it's so fun. I get to work with my brother. I mean, yeah, you talk to him. He's amazing. He is amazing. And, um, you are too, by the way, <laughs> but it's just, yeah, I think I'm fun. I think it's, you know, I, f I feel smarter because I, now admit that I know less and and that's probably been like the best lesson for me over the last couple of years but when you think you know it all the so learning dumb. stops <laughs> yeah, right totally. and then you don't grow and you're not like you would have never picked up the book profit first no. you would have never gotten these perspectives you would have never learned about open book management and all the, oh, the power yeah. that goes on there so if if you're talking to somebody and they've told you that uh you know they know everything Run, run away. Run away. Because you're going to get in trouble going to business with that person. Exactly. Uh, awesome stuff. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integrated training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best in-breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. Finally, a simple, affordable, and legal way to share the music that best represents your brand. It's called Soundtrack Your Brand. Get access to soundtracks tailored for any business. Side note, studies have shown that playing the right music can impact your sales. Do you have questions about what that right music is? Soundtrack Your Brand can help you there too. Here's a fun fact. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening to this already have a Spotify account. Well, you can take playlists from your account and import them directly into SoundtrackYourBrand.com. And my guests are always saying on the show that their restaurants are an extension of their own personal brand. Well, so isn't your music. And now you can marry these things together legally. Unlike Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack Your Brand is licensed for business use. Skip the hassle of ASCAP and BMI because with Soundtrack Your Brand, it's already included. You can even schedule music for the whole week and adapt the music for each day part. Typically, this deal goes for $26.99 per month, but if you act now before the end of August, you can get this deal for $19.99 per location per month for life. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I'd say um, positivity. Positivity. Yeah. I dig it. I, yeah. Optimism and positivity. Powerful Same. stuff. What is your biggest weakness? Sometimes thinking I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> You've gotten better. We already discussed <laughs> Just that. A little, yeah. What's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Um, 
I always want to know. Oh, let's see. I just did an interview. Um, I actually, it's, I'm, I'm looking to gauge and if they're an authentic person, mm. how do you know if they're authentic? You make them do like funny, th- like, you know, <laughs> tell me the best book. It's kind of like a speed round, right? Yeah. You can tell if someone's like overthinking it or that, you know? And so it's just like, okay. And Quick. Can they laugh at themselves? Yeah. Like, tell me a time you laughed at yourself. I dig it. Uh, what's a current challenge today? Biggest challenge today? Uh, probably always cash flow. <laughs> yeah. And how are you dealing with it? Uh, profit first. <laughs> I love it. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a way to be, a way to act, a core value. Yeah, um I would say that it's yeah, it's owning your we say owning I don't even know if I can I say owning your own shit. Yeah, you can say okay. whatever you want. <laughs> I, I do know. not censor this at all. I was all. like, eh. um own your shit. Yeah. Like know what you're doing master master your role and we'll all be good we'll all be better for it beautiful and what is one book that's a must read for somebody to make us a better restaurant operator or person can i do three you can do three you can do four you can do five i love sharing books okay for it to be a better person i think you need to read untethered soul Ooh. Uh, first time mentioned on the show oh really to be a better business owner i'm gonna give you two books i would read um profit first for sure mm-hmm. and i would read scaling up scaling up and profit first two great books i think the the name of profit first uh, it's mike mccallowitz yeah that's what it is and scaling up is another great business and just scaling yeah. um and uh, i'll have those links in the show notes head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash michelle Cairo, and that's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-C-A-I-R-O. And um, also, both of those books are on audio, and I don't know about you, but audiobooks changed my life. Uh, yeah. If you're busy and you say you don't have enough time to read books, then pick up audiobooks because you can get work done while you're learning. And if you head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable, uh, you'll be supporting the podcast. 15 bucks will go to me, okay. and thank you in advance if you do use my links. All right, the next question. What is... You'd think I have these memorized by now, but sometimes I like to, I like move them around. Share an online resource or tool you're leveraging. An online resource or tool that I'm oh well. Um oh, personal or business. Personal or business. Whatever you want, whatever you're getting value out of your life. Um I mean we need to be successful personally to be successful in business. I hundred percent so. agree. Um so I Right now, I'm personally in love with yoga with Adrian. Yoga um, with Adrian, yeah. nice. Um, and um, and that's a great one, by the way. Yoga for people in this industry because oh. we put our bodies through so much. You guys need yeah. to stay limber. Uh, I use Down Dog, yeah, which okay. is pretty great. And it's just like centering. You yeah, know? it's like being in your body. Yeah. sometimes we're so not in our bodies. Um, and then business one. I belong to a networking EO networking group. And so like I can throw out any question there I have and everyone answers it. So it's part EO of the, networking. It's like part of the entrepreneurs organization. Okay. And so I no. can go on there and yeah. ask any question. So spoiler alert, I'm planning on building something like that for the restaurant people in like R O. That's <laughs> I don't know what I call it yet. Yeah. It's amazing. So, and yeah. I can say that that's part of what, probably opened my mind up a year and a half Beautiful. ago is joining that group. I love it. If you guys are interested in that group, let me know. Shoot me an email, Eric at restaurant unstoppable. I'll keep you posted. And, uh, what is one tech? What, blah, 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 blah. what is one technology you've adopted within the four walls of your business? Maybe like this is something more tangible that has had a positive influence on like operations, profitability, communication that you can share with us. Um, probably our dashboard. Um, is that what you're kind of yeah. talking about? What do you, what do you use? Is it something that you guys had custom built or no. is it? It's Google sheets. Like nice. it's, and, and that's where I think like people don't need to be complicated about how you report your numbers, just giving people access to it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's just like, it shows our weekly revenues. It shows our top three priorities that we're focusing on on that quarter and our weekly status yep. update. So it keeps everybody on the same page and you're open book and we're open book. So, yep. And, uh, what, what has been the biggest influence of being open book? We talked a little bit about it with Eli. I I would say it's ownership of the numbers by all the employees. Mm -hmm. Like everyone feels 
like they can impact the numbers. And yeah. it's just like watching people like be like, oh, I don't know if I should buy this. I could probably find another alternative or keep this piece of machine for a little while and then and then buy one later when we have more cash. Exactly. It's been huge. Beautiful. This is the last question. Okay. But it's a doozy. Oh, gosh. So get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your businesses would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about your success in this world, uh, what would those three things be that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy? Deep. Whoa. <laughs> Jeez. Um, I mean, it would have to be, you know, my three pieces of wisdom would be look at every problem as an opportunity. Um, just be so nice to yourself. Like, be nicer to yourself than you would to a friend or a family. Um, and find joy in every moment. I've loved this conversation, Michelle. Thank you so much uh, for for joining me, sharing your story, your knowledge, your advice. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's somebody that you admire in this industry? Somebody that you believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today. Call them out. I'll get them on the show. Maybe somebody in Portland. I'm here for a couple weeks. Um, I think a great one would be Kim across the street that owns Salt and Straw. Ooh, Kim across the street, the who owns salt and straw. I'm going for a walk right after this. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. And let the folks at home know, how can we connect with you? Uh, if you're on Instagram, social media, we want to follow your work or maybe join your team. What's the best way to connect? Um, Instagram is it's Cairo time and yeah, you awesome. can find me. <laughs> that works. Michelle at Michelle, sure. <laughs> I've loved this conversation. You are incredible. This your your group is incredible, and I can't wait to talk to Nate too, because I'm sure he's gonna be awesome. Yeah, awesome. Uh there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. What an awesome episode with Michelle Cairo. Uh, great things came from today's conversation. I think the big takeaways for me in today's chat were having the mentality that you need profit to survive. Once you know what you need, reverse engineer uh, the process to get there. And guys, you know, we don't get into this industry to make money, but the, tr- the cold hard truth is we need it to survive. Uh, we need these things to take care of our people. We need profit to take care of our people. We need profit to, t- to take care of ourselves. So figure out what it is you need to survive. Start there. Make sure you get that. And as more cash flow comes in, start prioritizing where that cash flow is going to go. Uh, the other big takeaway, uh, plan, execute, measure, correct. I love this. It's the first time I've ever heard of that approach of, uh, put together so concisely i've heard of those i guess parts separately but i love how she explained this to us today uh using the numbers to project your growth this is why it's so important to know your numbers uh when you know your numbers you can look at trends you can see where you're headed and all of a sudden taking risks doesn't become so risky because you can project it's so valuable and then getting creative to find new forms of revenue more new forms new channels of revenue uh whatever you can dream whatever you can think of get creative i mean there's so many different ways to get revenue in the door uh and the only limitation is your own creativity so start thinking about how you can get that cash flow in to uh you know start doing more to, to start taking care of your people all right guys I think that about sums it up. Uh, Some other things I want to mention before saying goodbye. Uh, In this episode, we mentioned uh, G Suite. Uh, I signed up for the uh, Google affiliate program. So if you guys are interested in using the Google Suite, uh, then please use my links. And if you go to the show notes, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 530 or Michelle Cairo, and uh, you'll find the link, my link to sign up for uh, Google Suites. And there's a promotional code uh, to save 20% off your first year. Um, Other things, guys, like always, please reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. Uh, But the best way to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this content. 
I'm going out there. I'm getting the stories. I'm getting the advice. But I need your help to transform the industry by sharing this content. Let's get the word out there. All right, guys. That's all for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.